Welcome into this training in education extra as we dive further into sleep and learning with an expert guest, Dan Shafford and Mike Palmer here. And on the phone, we have Dr. Kimberly Fenn, Associate Professor of Psychology and Lead Researcher at the Michigan State Sleep and Learning Lab. Dr. Fenn, thanks so much for joining us uh, to talk about sleep and learning. Thank you so much for having me. And, and if you could hear Kimberly at the top, uh, what is the work done at, at the, the Sleep and Learning Lab at MSU? Yeah, so we are broadly interested in learning and memory, um, and we take a number of different approaches uh, to studying learning and memory across a different number of tasks. Um, but we are most interested in how a period of sleep or a period of sleep deprivation affects a memory representation. That's great. And I know uh, you will get deep into this, but you had a chance to listen to our episode from this past Tuesday, uh, wondering uh, initial high-level reactions uh, and how you felt about uh, the work we did and what uh, topics you want to cover off here on, on the episode we're recording right now. And, and just real quick before you answer that, yeah. were you, did you get a good night's sleep before listening? I mean, like, were you, <laughs> were you like, mentally prepared uh, to get the most out of, out of our most recent episode? I, I ensure that I always get a good night's sleep, even if it means I have to come into work a little late. So I can guarantee that my brain was in a solid state when I listened to it. Excellent. <laughs> um, so I think that, that I, I really enjoyed your podcast. I thought it was a really um, enjoyable to listen to. Um, and there were a couple of things that I thought would be interesting to touch on. The, the first would be to talk about the, the differences in chronotypes and how important they are and, and what it actually means and, and how valid they are. Um, and I was also interested in, in the work you were talking about um, regarding odor, odor cueing during sleep, which mm -hmm. is something that we consider um, targeted memory re reactivation. So mm -hmm. a way to essentially cue your memory um, while you're sleeping to improve the consolidation of the memory. Yeah, that's great. Um, and uh, maybe we could start with the chronotypes uh, part of the conversation, because uh, we had a few minutes to catch up before we started uh, recording for today's show. So um, if I heard you right, chronotypes are real and there's, uh, there's plenty of research uh, pointing to the, the idea that we all have, as humans, we have circadian rhythms and that those rhythms may vary uh, in some interesting ways from person to person. Uh, that seemed backed up by the data, but then some of the stuff that we really got into around, uh, are you a lark, are you an owl or a third bird? or like which flavor of sleepy mammal are you? Uh, those, were the, those were the areas where, uh, where maybe the science uh, starts to blend more into uh, what might sell a book or what might uh, create an entertaining uh, podcast. Is, uh, is that a fair uh, accounting of, uh, of the science here? I think that's exactly right. I think the, the one thing um, to remember about uh, chronotypes is that all individuals, actually all species of animals, have um, uh, this endogenous circadian rhythm, meaning that all sorts of physiological function, like essentially every type of physiological function you have in your body, for example, you know, heart rate, respiration, um, and that sort of thing fluctuates on a 24-hour cycle, roughly 24 hours. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, you know, every cell in your body has this cyclical rhythm um, that varies on a roughly 24-hour cycle. And when we talk about chronotypes, what we mean is that for some people, the, the peak in the, in the, the rhythm, so the highest point, um, and the nadir, which would be the lowest point, are shifted either earlier or later. Um, and the classic example of this, of course, if you think about um, anyone you know who's more elderly, um, they tend to fall asleep earlier, 
um, and wake up earlier. So we would say that they are a little bit what's called phase advanced. So their, their rhythm is shifted to earlier in the day. Whereas high school students and adolescents um, are typically phase, I'm sorry, they're phase advanced. Um, their rhythm is shifted earlier. Um, whereas high school students that are adolescents are phase delayed, meaning that their rhythm is shifted later. So they don't get sleepy um, until later in the day and, and their bodies are sort of designed or are more w likely to be waking up later in the day. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then around, uh, you know, we did talk a little bit about the, I think you just mentioned uh, circadian nadir, which, uh, which I just love that language, but, um, but that trough uh, that, that many of us uh, are, are, are maybe too painfully aware of in the afternoon where you get a little logy, you might not be as sharp as you are, uh, you know, maybe during that first productivity window in the morning. Um, that's backed up, that's backed up by re research, right? Like that's something that is uh, uniformly true, regardless of whether you're, you know, uh, you're, you're a morning person or an evening person, pretty much universally as humans, there's a period in the afternoon when we tend to be, um, like, I guess our least sharp, uh, during like our typical waking hours. Is that right? Yeah. That's absolutely correct. So again, um, if you're a morning person, it'll be shifted a little bit earlier, maybe um, around one to three. And if you're an evening person, it'd be shifted a little later, two to four mm -hmm. around there. But at that point, you go through what we think of as a, a circadian dip. So again, um, it, it's a biological dip. It's, it's not just, you know, a lot of people will think that it's because they had a big lunch or they ate a turkey sandwich, <laughs> um, but it's actually that, you know, your underlying physiology changes. So again, your heart rate slows up just a little bit, your body temperature dips just a little bit and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. um, I always tell people this is a, a perfect time for a little 20 minute cat nap. <laughs> Right, right. And that's where we were talking a little bit about the nappuccino, uh, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, the idea that uh, coffee takes uh, about 30 minutes to actually get into your nervous system. And, and uh, if you can take a short nap, um, say like 25 minutes or so, it's before the caffeine kicks in and it's uh, before uh, sleep inertia kicks in. And um, I, it's always wonderful to have an expert like yourself on the show because we've talked about this hopefully we weren't making that stuff up too. Like there, there is such a thing as like sleep inertia and uh, you know, the length of your nap uh, does impact uh, you know, how, how much like fatigue carries over on the other side of the nap. Is, is that correct? Absolutely. So um, everyone has experienced sleep inertia. So if you think about, you know, the moment that you wake up in the morning, very rarely do you, you know, wake up and, jump out of bed and feel just as good as you would at, you know, noon. Um, you know, you wake up and it kind of takes you a few minutes and you, you feel like everything just isn't quite awake right mm -hmm. yet, right? Your muscles are not as strong. Your brain doesn't feel as sharp. Um, and that's, that's supported by data. So it can take, you know, you anywhere from, you know, 20 minutes to, to three hours to recover from sleep inertia. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of things that go into, you know, why it may be um, more severe in certain cases than others, including, of course, things like what stage of sleep you wake up from. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there are a lot of people who, who, who thoroughly support this idea of the, the nappuccino, as you call it. Um, and, and, you know, again, people vary considerably in how um, good they feel after a nap and how long it takes them to, to overcome sleep inertia. So for those people who have a hard time overcoming sleep inertia, then, you know, I mean, trying a little bit of coffee can't hurt. Right, right. 
and have you have you studied how people can get better at napping or better at falling asleep um because i know a lot of a lot of folks do suffer from insomnia and a lot of people say i I really can't nap um is that i imagine like all things there are probably continuums that we all sort of fall upon but um have you have you seen um any evidence that indicates that certain types of interventions or certain approaches uh make people better at catching a cat nap or better at falling asleep quickly or, or, or having a more restorative uh, uh, sleep life. Uh, is there any, uh, any evidence you can point to or any research uh, you're aware of that, that might, uh, might indicate uh, what's really going on there? Yeah, I think those are, are two separate questions. Um, first, for people who are suffering from insomnia, the number one recommendation would be to not try to nap actually Mm. Um, because for individuals who who do have trouble falling asleep at night um, sleeping during the day can actually affect their sleep at night right Mm. so so number one um, if you're gonna nap you should not nap for very long ideally Mm -hmm. Um, and two if you're if you're having trouble sleeping at night then you should actually avoid naps and it turns out that one of the best and safest treatments for insomnia is actually to, to be more sleep restricted. So to actually put people into a state of um, sort of low levels of sleep so that, you know, their bodies um, respond better when they're given the opportunity to sleep. Mm. And yeah, and I would say that um, for people who are struggling to sleep, there are lots of things that they can do with, you know, environmentally or behaviorally to to help them sleep. Um, I think first and foremost, one of the things that we always recommend is to have a really good sleeping environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so people um, don't always pay a lot of attention to their sleeping environment, and it can actually have you know really profound effects on how well they sleep and how well they're able to maintain sleep. Um, and we can go into the recommendations for that if you're interested in it. And of course, um, the other really big recommendation is that if you're struggling to sleep and um, you're lying in bed and you're trying to fall asleep and you can't fall asleep, um, we would say that after 20 minutes, you really need to get out of bed um, and go do something else until you're actually tired. And the reason for this is because the, you know, probably the number one reason for insomnia is, you know, anxiety or rumination over something. Mm -hmm. And if you're lying in bed worrying about sleeping, then what you're doing is essentially um, creating a relationship or an association between your bed and anxiety. So the next time you try to go to sleep, um, you know, you start thinking about all these awful things again. And so you want to cue your bed, um, you know, for, you know, relaxing things um, instead of for anxiety inducing things like that. Great. And we're talking to uh, Dr. Kimberly Fenn uh, out of Michigan State, the uh, sleep and learning lab there. And I want to take a step back and talk about that trough. Uh, again, we, we did mention about high school students uh, when we recorded in a, a previous episode to that one, we had talked to uh, a co-worker, Charlin Ray, who has been doing work with high school students uh, uh, on their sleep patterns and learning. Uh, would you recommend or are there recommendations that high school students or, or education, public education at large does begin later? Like, is there a push or, or a, um, a point you, you, somewhere you can point us to about pushing back the, the school day, uh, the public school day that would make more sense for learning and for a retention of uh, the information students are getting? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, as you discussed before, um, high school students and adolescents are, are phase delayed. So they just don't get tired until later in the day, till oftentimes, you know, midnight or even 1 a.m. 
Um, you know, parents will often, you know, attribute their children staying awake later because of, you know, friends and screen time and all, all sorts of things like that. But, but actually, it's their own biological rhythm that is, you know, not enabling them to fall asleep until later. So what ends up happening is, um, you know, these students don't go to bed till later. They have to wake up really early for school. Um, and, and so this has, you know, sort of multiplicative effects on their learning. So they're coming to school, they're not well rested, so they're having, you know, a more difficult time encoding the information. Um, they're, you know, more likely to act out behaviorally um, and that sort of thing. So there, there has been a big push in, in the sleep community to try to shift school start times later. Um, it, it hasn't received a whole lot of attention and <laughs> um, there's a couple districts that have done it, done this, um, but you know, there's a lot of sort of impediments to, to putting these changes into place. Yep. Well, at least we're we're giving we're trying to give it a little bit of attention uh, on 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 this show, which uh, which hopefully can help a little bit. Uh, and thanks again for uh, for giving us uh, a little bit of your insight here. Um, uh, another thing we did talk about um, uh, was memory consolidation during sleep, uh, which I believe is is sort of the the thrust of a big part of your um, your body of work, like the research that. That, that you've been doing, uh, which is the idea that, you know, we, uh, memory acquisition and, and memory uh, recall and retrieval are less tied to sleep, but memory consolidation, um, you know, sort of, I'd love to hear you talk a little more about what memory consolidation is and how, how it ties to sleep. Uh, and then maybe down, down, down road from there, we can talk about, uh, whether targeted smells and sounds uh, help and, and, and any sort of genuine research or, or insight you can share with that. But can you just update our listeners a little more on uh, the tie between memory and sleep and uh, specifically the tie between memory consolidation and sleep? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we think of long-term memory, um, we think of, or the way that we conceptualize it is that when you acquire a new memory, um, into your long-term memory storage. Uh, it used to be believed that, you know, once you have a memory, you have it, right, and it's there to stay. Um, but what we're really finding out is that after initial acquisition, um, memories are really vulnerable. So they're vulnerable to a whole lot of outside influences. So um, first, they're vulnerable to just loss, right? So you're, you're you know, highly likely to um, just forget something. Um, they're also um, vulnerable to things like interference. So um, if you learn, if you're at a cocktail party and you learn one person's name and then you turn around and you learn another person's name, you may get confused over, you know, which name belonged to which face. Um, they're also um, prone to um, various types of distortion. So um, what I mean by distortion is that you have some information that you've acquired, let's say you um, went to a barbecue this summer, and then you go home and maybe you check Facebook and you see a bunch of pictures from the barbecue. Um, and then I later ask you to recall what happened at the barbecue. Um, so what you're likely to do is recall some of the things that you actually experienced and maybe some of the things that you saw on Facebook, even though you yourself had not actually um, experienced them. So, um, you know, memory is, is really prone to this sort of malleability and, and distortion. Mm -hmm. What we find is that um, if after you initially acquire a memory, if you then sleep, um, what happens is during sleep, there's an active processing of the information that you've acquired um, that helps to do a number of things. So first, it helps to strengthen the memory, so you're better able to retrieve it later 
Um, and the other thing is it helps to protect that memory against these other forces. So it helps to protect it against loss, it helps to protect it against interference, um, and it helps to protect it against um, um, distortion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, just sharing a, a brief anecdote. Uh, after we recorded the podcast uh, about sleep, I was talking about uh, to my wife, I was telling her how important um, sleep was to memory consolidation. And this was right before I was going to sleep. And then I went to sleep <laughs> that night and I had a very vivid dream where I was packing an enormous suitcase and I just kept packing the suitcase. And, uh, and then my grandmother was there and, and, and then I woke up, but I thought like, you know, in a sense, that's probably what was going on in my brain when I was having that dream. And uh, I just thought that was, I thought that was a little, uh, a little wacky, uh, wacky dream story for me to, for me to share. Um, <laughs> but, um, but what about the role? Cause there, and I think it may be that I got excited uh, cause I like to talk about, I joke that I'm an olfactory learner, although I do know that uh, there are deep associations between our sense of smell and our ability to remember things. Uh, but I did see some research that uh, indicated that uh, smells and also sounds while you were sleeping could aid in some aspects uh, of memory consolidation. And uh, that, that excited my imagination to the point that maybe I started, uh, you know, operating a little faster and looser than I should have. Um, can you give us a little more, uh, a little more insight around uh, what, the, what those studies actually have looked at and what we can uh, infer and, uh, and apply from, the, from those studies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I'll probably just focus on um, the olfactory work because it's a little easier to understand, I think. Um, the idea is that, or the way the study was conducted was that um, participants um, learned some new material, and for some of them, while they learned it, they had there was an odor cue that was put into the room, so a, a rose scent, so a scent of roses. Um, they subsequently fell asleep, um, and during a specific stage of sleep, uh, slow wave sleep, again, some of these participants also had this rose scent pumped into the room. And the idea is, or the hypothesis was that um, if you're able to cue a memory during sleep, when we think the memory was being reactivated or strengthened, then you should show greater strengthening of the memory. Um, and that's exactly what they found. So um, participants who, you know, had the sense while they were learning and had the scent while they were sleeping, specifically during slow wave sleep, um, showed the best performance in the morning, you know, compared to, um, you know, participants who didn't have the scent um, while they were learning or who had the scent during a different stage of sleep. Mm -hmm. And then, so I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just curious about the, how broad the application of that research should or could be like, you know, it sounds like it was a pretty controlled experiment and it was tied to a specific phase of sleep. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure out whether I should, uh, whether I should get my Kickstarter uh, going for, uh, you know, uh, learn better through smell while you sleep. Uh, or not. Yeah. It sounds catchy. I would contribute. <laughs> um, I think the number one thing to think about um, in terms of that work is the specificity. Um, as you said, it's a very well controlled study. Um, and you can imagine sort of the opposite of this, right? So, so in this 
um, paradigm, you know, participants learn a very small set of information. I, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly how many items, but I think it was, you know, 24 or 36 items. Um, and they had that one smell, which was, you know, fairly unique smell during that one time. So you can take that to the extreme and imagine that you are wearing some perfume one day. Let's say you're wearing some lilac scented perfume and mm -hmm. you go about your day. And so you've had this cue with you for, you know, we'll say 12 waking hours. <laughs> Um, if you were then to even administer that same cue at the right stage of sleep, I mean, the, you know, there's just no specificity, right? It's too right. broad. Mm -hmm. So we need to be really, really specific. Um, the other thing is, um, again, the, the scent would have to be presented during the correct stage of sleep. So it would have to be when, um, when the, when the memory was being reactivated. So in terms of declarative memory, again, that would be during slow wave sleep. So you would have to appropriately time the scent. So you need to have, you know, specificity with both the material being learned um, and with the stage of sleep in which Got you it. presented the order. Got it. So if I'm hearing you right, I'm going to need a lot of funding for this Kickstarter uh, <laughs> to, make it, to make it actually work. But, uh, but there's hope. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> so, so we represent, uh, you know, Kaplan Test Prep and... Um, I don't think we've really formally incorporated uh, recommendations aside from, you know, just high level, you know, it's important to get a good night's sleep and, uh, and, you know, pulling an all nighter is a bad idea. Like we do, um, we have that sort of built into our recommendations for people who are preparing for like a high stakes uh, cognitive uh, task, you know, uh, to really help them advance in their lives. Um, do you have any thoughts for for folks who are, uh, you know, honestly, there there's there's quite a few cases where all of us are, um, you know, preparing for high stakes cognitive performative activities, um, but specifically around preparing for big tests um, and or sort of clearing hurdles to sort of advance in 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 your life and your career. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts on how people should think about how sleep's uh, an important part of the equation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, of course, the first thing I, I have to say um, is that, you know, you know, getting a good night's sleep is, is, is really critical. And it's critical um, because, you know, if you're not well rested, you're going to have a more difficult time even just learning the material. And of course, if you're not sleeping enough at night, you're not going to consolidate the material. So, you know, I think as you mentioned on your, your first, your former podcast that, you know, sleep is critical to all stages of memory encoding, mm -hmm. consolidation and retrieval. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that another thing to think about with regard to that is that a lot of people don't realize that they aren't sleeping enough. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many, you know, students and particularly students who are studying for these high stakes, stakes tests, um, don't get a lot of sleep at night. So they may be sleeping six hours a night, but feel functionally fine, right? So um, they wake up, they're able to do all their studying, go to work and do whatever, um, and not have any you know, major impairments. Um, but the vast majority of people, I would say, are actually carrying around a fair amount of sleep debt. And, and there's an easy way to know if you are. So um, what typically happens is that across the course of a week, people don't sleep enough, and then on the weekends, they sleep in, you know, up to, you know, two to four hours more than they would during um, a typical work week day. So, um, number one, that's the number one signal. Like, if you are sleeping, you know, significantly more on weekends, it just means that you're, you're not getting enough um, sleep during the week, and you're not operating to your optimal level of functioning during the week. Mm -hmm. um, and 
you know, if maybe you stick to your same schedule during the weekend and you say that, you know, you're getting enough sleep, um, take three to four days and don't set an alarm. Mm -hmm. um, and then see how much you actually sleep. Um, so if you're still sleeping only six hours a night, then that's all you need, right? There is a lot of individual variability um, in sleep needs. So maybe some people don't, um, don't need full eight hours, and, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, the, the second recommendation I would have for um, your students is to really think about when they study. Um, so again, like anything else, if you're swimming at a suboptimal time, um, you know, again, for me, like this hour is my, my most suboptimal hour in the afternoon and when I'm most likely to nap. But you, um, you, are, but you, are, cru you are crushing it, I would say. For, for the, we're in that, <laughs> that nadir. For someone in the nadir, you're, you're, you're nailing it. So, so keep it up. <laughs> I had some coffee this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, so studying at two to four in the afternoon may be wasted time for you. Um, and it may be, you know, more useful to, to shift your schedule around so that you're studying at a better circadian time. Mm -hmm. And also, it's, I think it's really important to, to think about when you're taking this exam. Mm -hmm. um, so oftentimes, I know a lot of these exams are scheduled for early in the morning, 8 a.m. Um, or 9 a.m. And again, if you are, you know, a, um, a late adolescent or a young adult, you know, oftentimes, again, you are phase delayed and you're um, not going to bed till 2 a.m., um, well, if that's the case, then you want to start, you know, a couple weeks ahead of time, at least, you know, shifting your clock earlier, you know, just try to go to bed a half an hour early, earlier every night and, and, you know, be vigilant about it. Because, you know, if you wake up typically at 11am, and then on test day, you have to wake up at, you know, 730 and take a test, you're not going to be operating your peak. A, a great, great point there that I, I probably have never nor would have considered about the idea also seeing if there are later test times. If you are someone who, you know, knows that you are not a, a morning person, seeing if there's a, a noon opportunity or a four o'clock in the end, well, maybe not four o'clock, but then yeah, the not too late because you, yeah, exactly. you don't want to schedule in your circadian nadir, Dan. That is very true. Story of my life. <laughs> um, now, uh, Kim, we've uh, really appreciated the time and, and hope to talk to you again in the future. Uh, don't want to keep you too long, though. Any, anything else you would want to share with individuals or, or educators about uh, the, the importance of sleep and learning or any topics that we didn't touch on that you think are important to pass along to our audience? No, I think just the more that you can... Um, really accentuate the importance of sleep, that the better we're all going to be as a, as a society. So go for it. Yeah. And, and just real quick on that, like we're in a bit of a crisis, right? Is the other, you mentioned sleep debt, like, like I know folks get extremely passionate about the importance of sleep and it's in, in part because we're not getting enough of it. Right. Like, so like there is uh, like a, 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 there's a mission here, right? This will actually make people, happier, smarter, uh, better, uh, better performing, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, it's, it's like, I, I think people sometimes take sleep for granted and don't treat it as important. Um, but there is, you know, this, this is a way to actually make the world better, right? I mean, like, uh, we don't, we don't always notice it, but it, but it really is, uh, is critical on, on, on many different levels. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that in the coming years, it, it's going to become more popular. If you if you just sort of think back across the last 20 or 30 years, um, you know, there's been a lot of change in how um, people are viewing their own lives and, and their own healthy behaviors, right? So, you know, now we know a lot more about 
nutrition than we did, you know, even 20 or 30 years ago. And people are really paying attention to their diets. Um, we also know a lot more about how important fitness and exercise is. And, um, you know, again, you see that a lot more people are trying to stay active or at least thinking about staying active and buying gym memberships, whether or not they use them. And I think sleep is sort of like the last frontier. Um, so, you know, if you're a healthy person and you care about, you know, your body, longevity, and that sort of thing, um, sleep needs to be factored into the equation at some point. And the sooner you do it, the better. I, I know I said I was going to wrap, but I do have a follow-up to that follow-up. Uh, how, how different is this across cultures? Like, do you see different, uh, you, know, you know, obviously based here in the United States at Michigan State, dealing with a lot of uh, Americans or, or second generation Americans, do you see uh, different cultures uh, treat sleep differently and even process information through sleep differently? Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I don't know of any cross-cultural studies on memory consolidation, um, but, you know, there is a lot of evidence that certainly different cultures treat sleep differently. If you think, um, you know, about some sort of siesta cultures, right? So there are some, you know, European cultures where people have, you know, a two or three hour break in the middle of the day where they literally go home and take a nap. Um, and then they typically stay, out, stay up a lot later than, than we would on average. Um, so I, I don't, actually know if there's any difference in how people would, you know, consolidate memory or, or that sort of thing. But there are certainly, I think, a fairly diverse set of views regarding the importance of sleep and, and that sort of thing. Dr. Kimberly Fenn out of Michigan State University, the Sleep and Learning Lab. Thank you so much for the time and hopefully we can talk to you again in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.